Welcome to Disrupting Obesity. I'm Charlotte Skeins, and I'll be sharing ways to regain control over your body and lose an extreme amount of weight naturally. Being fat is about so much more than just the food. It's about your relationship with food. That means that dealing with your weight is about more than just the food too. You have to change that relationship. You have to start disrupting obesity. A lot of the time we think we're gonna lose weight with the people we love. A partner, a friend, Sheila from work, Brenda from down the hall, that super nice lady at the gym. Yeah, no, it's a bad idea. And I know that everybody wants an accountability partner or a support group. And sure, there can totally be a place for that. Extreme weight loss isn't one of them. I'm sorry, and I already know the pushback I'm going to get on this. I'm not saying you should try and lose an extreme amount of weight without support. What I'm saying is you can't take anyone along on this journey with you, no matter how badly you want it for them. Try to remember how you felt before you made up your mind to get the weight off. I'm willing to bet that a lot of the time you didn't want to hear it. You didn't want people signing you up for the weight loss challenge at work or emailing you every new fad or weight loss solution they see or talking to you about your food choices and that under the desk exercise machine thingy. Nobody wants to hear it. You're ready when you're ready. That applies to others just as much as it applies to you. If you try to bring people along on this journey with you, there's a danger that you could alienate them and this is not the time to do that. You want support as you lose weight, but not a partner. If you alienate the people around you, they're going to be less likely to be supportive. Not what you want right now. The people in your life are going to process all kinds of stuff as you lose your weight. It's not all good things either. Just normal human things. Maybe you had a friend lose a lot of weight while you didn't, and you know how shitty that can feel. You're really happy for your friend, but you're also sad, disappointed, frustrated for yourself. Guess how people are going to feel when you lose a lot of weight? That's just normal human stuff, but it can be really hard to deal with. So it's not about you per se, but the people around you are going to process your journey too. It's going to give some of them feelings. And yeah, there's going to be happy, congratulatory, joyous feelings. There are also going to be jealous, petty, and fearful feelings. People might be afraid that as you lose weight, you'll start to judge them, that you won't have time for them anymore, that you won't want to be around them normal feelings. And while you might be involved because your journey is what's triggering them, those feelings aren't actually about you. They're about the other person. All normal feelings to have, but they're not always easy to navigate and you can't let them become a barrier for you. So don't push other people when they're not ready and don't wait for them to be ready with you. That's just self-sabotage, which is why you never want to hitch your weight loss success to somebody else's wagon. I see it all the time. Stacy and Cindy sign up at the gym together and they start texting each other their meals and their calorie counts and lots of memes and gifts and stuff, right? It's just awesome. And then Cindy stops because this crazy shit happened at work and it's just, it's not the right timing. And it's usually not long before Stacy stops too because she hitched her success to Cindy's wagon. They were in it together. When you've been battling obesity for a while, you can believe with your whole heart that you're all in. This is the time. You're ready. But there's a part of you that you may not even be aware of, and it can be small, but it's there. And that tiny little part of you doesn't actually want you to lose the weight for whatever reason, usually fear of one thing or another. Maybe you're afraid things will change with your friends or your spouse if you lose the weight and they don't. Maybe you're afraid of the attention you'll get. Maybe you're afraid of failing again, so you secretly don't even want to try anymore. There's lots of reasons for there to be a part of you that's sabotaging the shit out of yourself. Thinking you're going to bring somebody along with you on your weight loss journey is just another form of self-sabotage. 
Maybe Cindy doesn't quit, but she loses her weight faster, which Stacy may find discouraging. Or maybe she loses her weight slower and Stacy's the type of person who feels bad about potentially making someone else feel bad, so she lets off the gas a little and her own weight loss starts to stall. Either way, your weight loss is being influenced and impacted by someone else's choices for their own weight loss. Self-sabotage. Support is great, but you don't need or want a buddy system here. Losing weight isn't a team sport and there's no group work. Support is awesome, but eating's a very individual thing. The only person who decides what goes into your mouth is you. And as soon as you start focusing on how important or how necessary this is for somebody else, you've found a handy distraction from doing your own work. The commitment you need to make is to yourself to lose the weight for you, not to do it with someone else. At the same time, it's totally natural to want to share what you're learning and be helpful, especially when you're succeeding at something and especially when it comes to the closest people to you. If people are ready to hear it, they'll ask. Otherwise, they're probably not going to be all that receptive to your weight loss advice and things could get super awkward. And honestly, people might think they're ready to hear it, but that's no guarantee and it might get awkward even if they ask. It can feel to you like you're being helpful and encouraging, but I'm betting you've been on the receiving end of people who thought they were being helpful and encouraging, but what they had to say made you feel pissed off or sad or you shut down or they made you feel worse when they only had the best of intentions. Just like you will when you try to rope your best friend or Sheila from work or Brenda from down the hall into losing weight with you. Your intentions aren't going to matter that much when you've hurt someone's feelings or pissed them off or made them feel worse. It's dangerous when you intertwine your weight loss journey with someone else's. It's self-sabotage. And I know exactly how harsh that sounds. I want it to sound harsh. You can't do this for anyone else. They have to do it for themselves and they have to want it for themselves. Focusing on someone else's journey is a very convenient way to not have to focus on your own. But losing weight is an individual pursuit. Sometimes you have to really turn inward. Fixing your relationship with food is one of those times. I've had to turn inward more than once, and not just with weight loss. If you've done intense physiotherapy, you'll know about turning inward. And I don't talk about this a lot. It's not easy for me to do which is probably something else that if you've done it, you'll know. It's hard to speak out when you don't know what to say or how to say it. People who know me know how much I like to talk, and I started a podcast, so you can probably guess. This is different, though. It's hard to talk about it because it makes me feel like I'm whining or complaining, and I'm really not trying to do either of those things. When so many people worked so hard to save your life, it doesn't feel comfortable to have anything negative to say about it. It feels ungrateful. Even when some of the things they had to do to save you seemed nearly as bad as what was killing you. We aren't supposed to talk about our pain, to talk about the underbelly of things, right? Like I'm supposed to be as hashtag grateful as I can be. And I am. I'm just also deeply traumatized at the same time. I'm alive and I'm very happy about that. There are just things that have held over that give me other feelings too. I don't want to talk about this, but obesity is becoming more common. And if those of us who've been through these kinds of experiences don't start talking about them, there's nowhere for people to turn. I was hospitalized for five months after our third son was born with severe necrotizing pancreatitis, and I very nearly died a bunch. I got very sick very fast, and the complications just kept piling up. A lot of people worked very hard for a long time to keep me here. 
On top of the necrotizing pancreatitis and a crash C-section, I also developed Ogilvy syndrome. So I was bed bound and in massive amounts of pain. Movement was pretty excruciating. So I avoided it as much as I could. But moving wasn't always an option in the beginning anyway. I was filled with drains and sutures and IVs and I was also delirious and hallucinating a fair bit. So I stopped being able to walk pretty quickly, but it wasn't just walking. I couldn't sit. Even having the bed angled upright was too much. I couldn't roll from side to side. I was stuck flat on my back. Now, I had a physio team pretty much from the outset, even in the ICU, but once I couldn't walk or sit or stand at all, my real physio started with pulling my toes towards my face and then pointing them down. That was it. Then lifting my arms from my sides. Movements so small they wouldn't make it onto a list of warm-up stretches. None of this happened to me because I was 100, 120 pounds overweight. That's not why I got sick. I think that I probably had some pretty high triglyceride levels in my blood and that could have contributed to the necrotizing pancreatitis, but being fat in and of itself didn't make me sick. It did make getting better exponentially harder though. Everything was harder. And that's why I try to talk about this stuff. I know you know that being obese has serious medical consequences. I also know that most of the time we don't learn from the experiences of others. We think it won't happen to us. That's just human nature. And I hope it doesn't happen to you too. I mean, necrotizing pancreatitis is pretty rare, so I wouldn't worry about it at all. And Ogilvy's happens to about 0.1% of hospitalized patients. So there's really no worries there either. What I would worry about is getting seriously sick with anything before you've got your weight under control. And I share my story because I really, really hope that somebody will hear me and my story will be enough to help them get into the headspace they need to start working on their relationship with food. Don't wait for something catastrophic. Don't think that because things have only been getting slightly worse gradually that they can't or they won't get a whole lot worse all of a sudden. Because I wasn't nearly as unhealthy right before I got sick as I had been when I'd weighed 330 pounds more than a dozen years before. I was over 240, so obviously that's not great, but I had a plan. I just needed to get through my pregnancy. I didn't have diabetes. I wasn't on any medications. My doctor and my midwives were happy with how my pregnancy was going, and I was seeing them regularly. It was all going very well. Now, I did have horrible morning sickness, which masked the symptoms of the pancreatitis, but I'd had horrible morning sickness with all of my pregnancies. I was tired, but I had two very active toddlers. So I was overweight, but I was relatively healthy. And then I wasn't. And then the atrophy set in so much faster than I imagined was possible. I thought it took a long time for muscle atrophy to kick in. And I was so wrong. Muscle atrophy can start as soon as 10 days into being bedridden. And from there on out, you can drop muscle at a rate of 12% a week. I didn't have a lot of muscle to lose in the first place. And I was in there for like 20 weeks. The pain was crazy. Completely insane. Hallucination-inducing bad. Just the pain radiating from my pancreas as parts of it died and liquefied was so intense that the pain from my crash C-section didn't register at all. So I didn't want to move. Moving made the pain worse. So much worse. Having more than 100 extra pounds on my frame also made things worse. And it made me want to move even less. And that didn't help anything either. For a while, I hated my lead physiotherapist 
more than I have ever hated anyone or anything in my entire life, ever. It was every after-school special stereotype you've ever seen. I hated him so much because of what he was asking me to do with my body and what he was making my body do that I would sit there visualizing, gouging out his eyes. Physio isn't fun. My relationship with Nick ended up being one of the more significant in my life, but I hated that man with every fiber of my being. And he was in a horrible position for a whack of reasons. He knew exactly what it was going to take for me to come back from this. And he somehow had to mitigate that and manage my expectations and motivate me. He knew how hard it was going to be. He also understood my case and what was happening to me medically far better than I did. And he knew what it was going to take to come back from that, if I even could. My life was on the bubble for a while. And unlike other members of my team, and we're talking about at least a half a dozen specialists from hospitals all over the city and a few from other provinces, plus the nurses, residents, interns, techs, psychology, the other physiotherapists who were helping Nick, unlike any of those other people, he had to get me to do something. The rest of them all basically did what they needed to do to keep me alive. I was as willing a participant as I could be, but I pretty much had no choice. Do this procedure or die. Put in this pick line or central line or I'll die. So I lay there and let them do what they needed to do. There wasn't really anything I could do anyway other than not physically fight them as they tried to do things. And they gave me reasons to fight. If you've ever had NG tubes inserted or endoscopic surgery performed where the anesthetic failed, you'll know exactly what I mean. When someone's shoving a tube up your nose or down your throat, believe me, there is nothing you want to do more than swat their hands away and thrash your head as much as you possibly can. It's just instinctive. So you have to find a way to fight those instincts, to learn to be still, to turn inward and find something within yourself that lets you keep going even when things feel impossible. People throw around words like raw and real, but until you're completely dependent on others to do everything for you, there's no way to understand this kind of loss of autonomy. When machines or people are doing things for your body that you never even thought of until you couldn't do them anymore, it's a whole new level of understanding. And that helplessness, that humiliation, the loss of autonomy, the dependence, it's very hard to accept, even when you have no choice at all. Well, the only choice I had most of the time was physio. Well, that and psych. Cooperation was the only card I had. And there absolutely were days where I didn't have any cooperation left in me. I would love to be able to say that I did what I was told, that I did it as cheerfully as I could, but I didn't. It was too hard. I was in too much pain and the pain wasn't all physical. There was a lot going on mentally too. I was separated from my kids and I desperately just wanted my life back. So I didn't even really try too much to hide the fact that I hated Nick. He kept talking to me in this annoyingly pleasant and even-keeled way, and I kept thinking about clawing out his eyes. And he had to know how much I hated him. He wasn't new. I almost think it was essential to the process. It was an outlet I couldn't have with anything else. And I had to move past it so that I could trust him. I spent more time with Nick than pretty much anybody else on my team. And he was with me from the beginning right up until I was transferred out of that hospital about five weeks before I went home. I saw him pretty much every single day, sometimes more than once. But there were times where no matter how hard I tried to be polite and not lose my shit and do what he wanted me to do, I struggled. And it made me question 
who I was because until this point, I had believed that I was the type of person who would never lose it on someone who was trying to help them, on someone who was being kind and patient. I didn't think I was the kind of person who would say no and be belligerent and rude to the person who was trying to help save me. But I did, more than once. For a while there, it seemed like Nick's entire job consisted of finding a way to get me to focus on anything other than the reality that nearly every major muscle in my body was screaming at me to please lie back down, begging me to stop. So I would beg him to stop, to let me stop. Usually whenever I was moving into the hoist, the sling, into the chair, back into the bed, the transitions were terribly painful and terrifying. It might sound like fun to be loaded into a SeaWorld-style hoist sling thing, but it's not. I couldn't move, so if something went wrong, I was totally helpless, and I was very scared. The feeling of being picked up by a machine, of not having anything solid beneath you, is very unsettling. And it's every bit as humiliating as you might be thinking it is. Nick couldn't make me do anything. He could cajole, he could reason with me and lay out the facts, he could remind me of my goal to get home, of my boys, he could hit me with consequences if I didn't do it and the way things could get worse, he could build me up or tear me down, but he couldn't make me do it, and he couldn't do it for me. Nobody could do it for me. When I started developing my program and looking back, I could see a lot of parallels between losing my weight and the way I had to turn inward with the whole experience in the hospital and with the physiotherapy in particular. I had to want to get that weight off and I had to find it within myself to do it. Reason, facts, consequences, goals, my family, they all helped, but I had to do it. And when pain is big, sometimes those outside factors just don't factor in as much. When you've got more than 100 pounds to lose, you've likely got some big pain too. And I don't just mean physical pain. You know the facts, the consequences. You've got the goals and the people to do it for. You've also got the inner strength to get yourself through getting the weight off. You might think you don't, but you do. It's there even if you don't know it. Keep trying, keep tracking, don't be intimidated, and don't give up. You've totally got this. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Obesity. If you know it's time to take back control, lose the weight and keep it off, reach out to me privately with a direct message on Instagram that says ready so you can start disrupting obesity.